Hey, it's Nathan, and this is episode number four of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Well, welcome to episode four. Boy, four already. We're really getting through them. I hope you've enjoyed the first three episodes. I've got a lot of great feedback from them, so I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I hope you're enjoying them. What have you been up to? How has your week been since we last had a little chat? I've been back in New Zealand. I've uh, had my partner over here who's... uh, been traveling around with me we went to Waiheke Island in the North Island spent some time with family and friends in Christchurch we did a road trip we went to a farm we saw some sheep some cows some trees some lakes some flowers and it was beautiful we drank far too much uh, New Zealand wine which uh, I'm feeling the effects of and tomorrow I have to go back to work in Japan so that'll be me through to about January so I won't be home for Christmas this year, so think of me on Christmas Day when you're enjoying your ham and lamb, and I'm stuck at work, but uh, that's not so bad. We'll make the most of it and hopefully have a great day there. This episode, you are in for a treat. This amazing man, Colin Wright, joins me on the show. Colin and I met about six years ago when he started a project called His Exile Lifestyle. So he had an amazing job in LA working as a branding marketing guy. And decided working 100 hours a week wasn't for him. He wanted to travel the world, take on new projects, have the freedom to live uh, an exile lifestyle, a different life. And that's what he did. And even crazier, he got his readers of his blog to vote which country he should go to next. So he just put it out there. When the vote came in, boom, Argentina. He was off for four months. Bang, then it was New Zealand. I met him down here in Christchurch. Then he went to... Uh, Thailand, I think, and then India, Romania, all these incredible places all over the world. And he's uber intelligent. He has an amazing uh, perspective and view on the world. He runs now a podcast called Let's Know Things that dissects the news. And he's just an all-round fascinating human being. I thought you guys would love to hear what he had to say and hear what it's like to live uh, a minimalist lifestyle, a lifestyle where you're on the road all the time, exploring and traveling and just get his perspective on life, which I think you'll get a lot out of. So we sat down, we chatted for an hour, I asked him all about uh, minimalism, his lifestyle. As always, I asked what his dark side was uh, at the end of the episode, which you'll enjoy. And the first thing we chatted about, I said, wow, you're this amazing guy with all these things going on. How did that happen? How did it uh, come together? Where were you created to uh, start putting this exile lifestyle together so that's where we join the conversation with the amazing colin wright yeah i there was there's been a couple big pivot moments and i think i've always been at least since high school when i when i first discovered journalism actually i discovered kind of what it felt like to be passionate about something and what it felt like to actually be engaged as opposed to just be pretty good at something without even trying, which is kind of the academic route that I think a lot of us are encouraged into. If we're, if you have any talent for academics, then there you, you kind of learn to, to go for the pats on the head as opposed to going for what actually matters and whatever it is that you're actually doing. And discovering that was a big moment and that kind of fed into then my my passion for development in different things in art and graphic design and then eventually in business. Uh, but then the pivot point after that, after several years graduating from college and then going out to L.A., I did pretty well in business and realized that 
Okay. Like if you, if you're somebody who has any capability and I think everybody has the chance to have some type of capability, even if it looks different from everybody else's in the world, if you have that, how are you going to leverage it? What are you going to do to get the results that you want to see? And vitally important in that equation is like, what results do you actually want to see? What do you value? What do you think is important? If you have if you find yourself with a million dollars, how do you spend it? Okay, based on that, if you find yourself with $10, how do you spend it? Like, what does this look like at different amplitudes and at different scales? And so for me, like looking at how I had not exactly squandered what I had been given and like whatever ability I had, but also the experience of growing up with a good family and, you know, having a certain amount of education and being relatively healthy. All of these things were advantages and I was using them to go down a route that wasn't actually valuable for me really or valuable for anybody else. So what might I do to, on one hand, enjoy this more for myself and actually feel like I'm growing more? But then on the other hand, how can I be a positive contributor to the world around me and the people that I meet as well? And, and so what I've done since then, what I've done since leaving L.A. like seven and a half years ago or however long it was, I guess, like August 2009, is different iterations of that, of, of trying to figure out what that looks like, of what makes me happy, what makes me feel most challenged, but also so challenged in a way that I feel like I'm growing. But also that allows me then to, over time, continue to create value. And sometimes that's just like one-off value. Sometimes it's continuous generators of value. If you write something that then people will read for decades after that point, you're creating a generator of value in the same way that you might have created a generator of income or something like that. And so being able to sustain that and being able then to continue to grow and continue to explore and continue to try stupid things that, you know, at first at least are stupid, but might end up being brilliant later, the freedom to to pursue those things. It's so important to me. And I think that really drives any uh, perspective or any uh, like point of view that I have on the world and the way that I approach things is just really wanting to continue to do that and finding so much joy in it, finding a whole lot of joy and the rewards and benefits of that, but also the continuous um, joyful struggle, I guess, that's involved with that type of pursuit. Yeah, the... Um yeah, the struggle is so important, isn't it? And um, yeah, you know, valuable Seth Godin, I know you're a big fan of Seth Godin. He calls it the um, uh, the gift of the struggle, or something like that. You know, really mm. learning to cherish that. Hey, some people get handed everything. They don't get yeah. to. Um, they don't get to go through the struggle. Like as hard as this is now, when you look back at the end of this thing that you've created, you'll have um, the privilege of that struggle. Yeah, yeah, and it, and that's particularly valuable alongside like whatever other types of privilege that you have. If you do come from a family where you're well taken care of, or if you do have a modicum of intelligence or of health, like there's nothing wrong with using the cards that you've been dealt the best way that you possibly can. But to build a world in which there's no friction is, you know, it's like trying to climb something where there's no friction. Like you're not going to get very high. You need a little bit of friction there so that you can get some purchase and continue to go higher and higher. Yeah, we were just, I've just been talking about this with my friends. It's something quite topical lately, but the idea of, um, you know, being raised, say, very wealthy, like how it can be such a disadvantage. And, you know, well, you only have to turn on the TV to see, like, the, the children of 
you know, really wealthy <laughs> celebrities are just <laughs> lining the, the rooms of um, rehab and stuff like that. But yeah, um, yeah. I, th- I think you can take it and do something valuable with it. And I think some people are, do a really impressive job of coming from those circumstances and then still creating challenges for themselves, finding something to be challenged by. But I do think that there is a relative disadvantage in coming from something like that uh, in, in terms of not even knowing where to begin and not knowing that you should look for that to begin with. You know, I think there's a, there's a lot of, um, or do you feel any guilt, you know, like having a great family upbringing, you know, not wanting for anything? Is there any guilt there associated with that? No, not particularly. Um, I mean, like we were never wealthy or anything. We we had what we needed and anything right. else we had to, to work for it. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of advantages that, I, that I've had just by virtue of being born in the United States in a certain time period with a certain level of technology in the middle class, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I don't think that... Like there's no point in having guilt about that though, because it's not like you choose it first of all. And it's not like you growing up that way and using whatever privileges you do have in a, in a positive manner that doesn't hurt anybody else is something that's a net negative. It's just something that is, but I do think that it's, uh, it's nice to be aware of it because then it allows you to look out into the world and realize that anybody who does not have those same advantages is not somebody who's worthless or lazy or deserves to be where they are. They, they were just dealt a different hand. And so being aware of that then allows you to kind of recalibrate your impressions and recalibrate the way that you act toward the world and toward other people. And I think that's vitally important. You know, I love that you're so present to wanting to do things that make a difference. That it's like, okay, you know, I have the freedom here to really chase uh, my passions. But is that really shifting the world in any great way? Yeah, I, to me, it just feels like such a like a better way to spend my time. I, I don't know. I've done the other thing where I do it just for me. And I think, frankly, everybody has the right to do that. I don't think anybody should be forced to, to give a damn about anybody else. But I think it's great when they do. And I think it's really, in most cases, I think they'll find that it's more uh, satisfying for them but then it's also better for the society in which they live. So that is then better for other people, but also better for them as someone who also lives within that society. So it seems like a naturally uh, beneficial cycle for everybody involved. But, but again, I, I don't think that it's something that should be required. I don't think forcing that type of thing makes any sense. I just think that ideally uh, more of us would be exposed to that so that we have the, the chance to, to taste it and to know what that type of satisfaction feels like. Yeah. It, you're such a, um, you know, like you said, you, you're sort of a very uh, the top of the class type thing, you know, at school. So you have a lot of opportunities of what direction you can go in your life. And even now, I'm sure um, it's kind of one of the downsides of being a high achiever is uh, just the paralysis of choice. There's so many different things coming at you, so many opportunities and so many different directions you could go in. So how do you make the decisions to know which way to go or which things to follow and which to not follow i i have a lot of policies around this um i like i don't have a lot of any or i don't have a lot of hard set rules that i absolutely adhere to 100 percent of the time i have a lot of rules that i stick to like 85 to 90 percent of the time and one of these policies is that like perfection is not something to aim for it's something that keeps you from ever 
delivering and actually acting on anything. Uh, and every time, frankly, that you reach a horizon, you just see three new horizons anyway. So like the idea that you will crest a hill and suddenly you're done, you have nothing else to learn. That's not something that actually happens. So in terms of learning, in terms of a project, in terms of whatever, I do not wait for perfect. I have a certain point that I know that I want to get to and then treat it as a journey as opposed to a deliverable, I guess, with pretty much everything. And that allows me to explore a whole lot more. That allows me to try a whole lot more things and allows me to uh, get over that paralysis because it is something I think particularly for people who have been told they're good at something. I, I feel like a lot of the people I went to school with um, I, I was in one of these like quote unquote gifted programs where you test well. And so they put you in a class with other people who test well and you take higher level math courses and stuff. And, and really what that does is it gives you a crippling fear of getting a B and it. So like anything less than perfect, you've come to define your, define yourself in this way, like the smart kid who does well on tests. And so as a result, you never take risks because you are just just so afraid of losing that one thing that makes you worth a damn. And in reality, of course, you know, failure, getting a B on something isn't always a failure. Maybe you learned something else. Maybe you took a stand. Maybe you tried something innovative. And, and so I think, frankly, aiming in that direction, aiming to, to fail intentionally sometimes, or at least try things with the knowledge that you could fail with every single thing that you try allows you to really explore in a lot of different directions and fit a lot more onto your dance card. Whereas otherwise you might focus completely for your entire life on one thing. And there's a certain type of fulfillment in that, but there are diminishing returns once you get up to like 85% of knowledge in a particular area. And at that point, ideally, you know, you know, this much effort will get this much return. And then you can decide with a whole lot more foreknowledge um, whether to keep expending so much effort on that or whether to start investing it in something new where every unit of effort derives like a whole lot more value in terms of what you're learning. Hmm. So how did you transition like from, from a kid that's has a fear of getting bees? Uh, two questions really. Do you still feel that fear <laughs> bubbling up inside of you occasionally going, I can't make a mistake? Uh, and how did you actually transition to someone that's going, okay, I'm going to do a lot of experiments and I'm just going to allow myself <laughs> to fail. Like, was that a long process to kind of come to terms with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long process and it, it, it's still an ongoing thing. I'm sure. Mm. Um, I I've learned though, to look at that feeling because I do still feel it sometimes as an indicator that I'm doing something I should probably keep working on. Uh, I, I felt it with the podcast that I'm doing actually, uh, because I care about it. And so it's not something that pops up with everything I try anymore, but with things that I, I really do care about the end result. And I really do care about doing justice to it, like whether or not other people like it, like for me to really do justice to it, that to me then is uh, a, an indicator. It's a little signal, a little blip on my radar that I should probably keep focusing on this, learn more and more and more, but still put things out there before they're 100% done. Because again, you will not reach 100%. That is unlikely within the span of a human lifetime, but it is something that is probably a, a you know, a horizon that's worth cresting at some point. Yeah, this resonates with me so strongly. Like I had a dad, you know, that was very driven and towards perfection. So it's something that I just fight constantly. And actually, you were one of the people, you gave me this great quote, don't let perfect get in the way of great. 
Mm. And I love that so much. That was like, wow, that completely shifted. No one had ever said something like that to me where, you know, I was the guy that wouldn't hand in an essay at school at all because it wasn't perfect. I'd rather get a zero mm. than an 80. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think that's very a very real thing. And some people I can see never deal with that. So they never even step out into the light um, and give something a go. It can be very paralyzing. Yeah, yeah. And it's too bad, too. I, I think uh, there is nothing wrong with wanting to do things really, really well. And I think that's laudable, actually. I think that's a wonderful trait. But to do it in a way that's unhealthy, yeah, to me, because it's to me, that approach is just very psychologically uh, unhealthy in such a way that it weakens one's resolve and one's view of oneself and uh, makes you see failure when in fact you're getting progressive success. Even if it's not perfect, it's still great and wonderful and shows the ability to continue to grow. And being able to kind of redirect and reframe it in that way, I think is super valuable. But, but again, like you said, it's, it's really difficult for some people. And, and the opposite problem is also difficult, I think, to overcome the idea of wanting to do something well for people who are brought up in a situation where that's not a consideration or just for whatever reason have a character trait where they don't care. I imagine that's a very difficult thing to deal with as well and, and you know, flip the switch in the opposite direction. But pulling back from the, the need, like that psychological drive to be perfect uh, is, is really tricky. And it's an unfortunate side effect of very well-meaning people, I think. Yeah, exactly. You know, I guess, and failure is still not fun, right? Even though you're, you're going to no, reframing no, it, not. it's still not fun when something doesn't work uh, out. Yeah, it hurts every time. But but that that's something else that uh, it, it's kind of like a, a stoic philosophy in a way that if you never experience anything that's challenging or difficult or painful, then you do not know that you can deal with that. Whereas if you are able to do something like that and have a difficult moment and have that like gut clenching moment where you know something didn't turn out or it, it wasn't the best that you could do in that moment in time at your skill level, like that's valuable because it means that one, you'll con continue to work harder and do better next time. But two, you know that you can take a punch in the gut and get back up and keep trying as opposed to giving up. And, and that is something in terms of self-perception that is just so valuable to know that you are the person who could take the punch to the stomach and keep going. Yeah, and that life keeps going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to move on to travel because that's um, you know, I'm sure everybody asks you about it because it's one of the most fascinating parts of your journey, um, your exile lifestyle, as you call it. Uh, so that's when I first came across you, and we first met. You decided that the nine to five, well, it was more like the six to eleven for you, I think, when you were working in LA, um, <laughs> wasn't a fit for you. It didn't quite add up the equation of slogging. Um, and, and that kind of job, not getting to travel at all. And so you made the decision a lot of people never make and to go and explore the world in a slightly different way, um, starting the blog and getting your readers to vote which country they would like you to go to next. And your second country ended up being New Zealand, which is where we met. So that decision, I know we're kind of going back, what, six years, seven years here, the decision to leave the job and kind of go into full-time travel, was that a, a difficult one at the time? You know, I think elements of it were. Um, it's almost like a breakup, like a relationship breakup, where the things that you regret the most sometimes are the things that you haven't done yet. It's the, all the plans that you had and all the goals that you had and all the things you were going to do. It almost like you, like a regret for the future of things that never happened. And I felt a whole lot of that 
because there were a lot of plans that I had had for many years of things that I was getting close to and that I could kind of indistinctly see on the horizon, things that I had told myself that I really wanted. But frankly, like in the moment as I was making that transition, part of the reason that my life there was it came apart so easily as soon as I started taking it apart is that what I was looking forward to once I'd, I had identified this other thing that I could do, at least in theory, I, I couldn't see any reason why I couldn't do it. It was just so much better and something that I wanted so much that even all the painful things and all the difficult things were kind of shockingly easy to deal with. And like it was very surprising for a lot of people and it wasn't something that was easy in terms of making it actually happen. It was full-time work for four months to reformat my business and to make sure that the relationship that was also ending was something that was ending well and to make sure that all the business relationships I had were relationships that were still intact and to make to get rid of everything that I owned. It takes a surprisingly long time <laughs> to do. Like it was a more than full-time job to do all of that. So it was difficult in practice, but actually like on the psychological level, I felt so good about it. And, and all of the new people I was meeting through the blog and all of the new ideas that I was exposing myself to and all of the possibilities, really, I think that was a big part of it. The possibilities were, there were suddenly so many more of them as opposed to the ones that I had on the path that I was walking, which were mostly like monetary possibilities. And that was something that gave me drive for a while. But as soon as I looked down this other path at this other set of rewards, there was just no contest between the two. And is that how it's ended up? Like if, if a lot of people, it's the dream. You say, if you had a million dollars, like you, you asked the question before, what would you do? Well, I'd leave my job mm. and I'd travel the world. It's a very common answer. So did it end up being that? Like, was it everything you expected? Was there a lot of possibilities? Did it end up being the dream that you hoped it would be? Yeah, yeah. And, and in different ways than I thought it would be, um, which, you know, should have been obvious probably to me at the time, but it wasn't. You know, I had very definite expectations of what it would look like. And at times it looked like that. And then at times it looked like completely different things that were also wonderful. Uh, and, and I can honestly say, and I'm really, really happy about this. This is like a gut check thing that I use from time to time when I'm trying to figure out if I need to adjust course in any way. And for the past seven and a half years, I have been able to say with authority every day that if I had a million dollars, if I could do whatever I wanted financially, I would be exactly where I was doing exactly what I was doing that day. If it was the last day of my life, if I knew I was dying the next day, that's where I would be doing that exact thing. And at any moment, if I've ever found that not to be the case, I've made a transition. And that's what leads me to places like where I am now sitting here in uh, a flat that I have in Kansas, which is not something that I thought I would have. Very um, exotic. Yeah. 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 It's a very different experience because I was looking at the way I was doing things and I had that type of gut check where I was still enjoying what I was doing, but there was like this tug of these other things I wanted to try and having the freedom, having the ability to follow those paths and those curiosities and to see if they're actually valuable or if they're something that, you know, I'll try and then shrug off and move on to something else. That to me makes me immensely happy. And, and I didn't think when I started traveling that that would be the real value that 
ability to change course quickly and stay malleable and see the world as a world of possibilities. I kind of just thought the travel would be the cool thing. But the travel was one part of that that ended up defining it in certain ways. But but really, it's that that freedom to pursue whatever's interesting, uh, be it geographically or in terms of lifestyle and project and stuff that ended up being the the real value of that shift. Mm, Amazing. Yeah, that's right, because you're not tied down to a home, you're not tied down to a business or a job. It's just wherever the opportunities come up, you're free to kind of move towards those. Yeah, yeah. Or even if it's not an opportunity in the sense of like a business or a project or a relationship, just the curiosity. Anytime there's something that I look at and say, huh, that's interesting. I have the ability to write that second, usually go explore it further. And it's like a ridiculous, silly thing that you wouldn't think would be this valuable. But for me and for the way that I think and the way that I uh, where I find joy, that is just unbelievably valuable to me. So where, do you look at people that, you know, do have a foundation laid down that, you know, has kind of had a family going Do you look at them and go, man, you don't know what you're missing out on. Like <laughs> you've done that way too early. This is the way to do it. What do you just think? No, well, I'm just no. No, I don't think so. I mean, for some people, undoubtedly, for some people, I'm sure there's a lot of things that probably not what I enjoy and find value in. But there's probably something that uh, particularly if they they uh, got things more secure and concrete early on, there's probably some things that they could have explored and found a lot in. But I, I don't think that there's any wrong path. I think there's a lot of <laughs> I think there's a lot of things that you can do that are negative for yourself within whatever path you find yourself on but I, I think that you can make anything work i think if i found myself in that situation like i i don't want to get married i don't want to have kids but i think if i found myself with a wife and with kids i'd be fine i'd make it work i'd find something interesting uh, and i think anybody could do the same but i i do think that there is a huge advantage in being able to structure your life in a way that it, uh, it, it kind of acts as a gravitational pull for those types of things as opposed to something where you have to really dig and really work hard to try to find it. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, you, you led me into this lifestyle as well. Uh, thank you for that. Like you really, uh, showed me, uh, what was possible. And so like, I've, I've really moved my lifestyle around the last three or four years to be able to travel, you know, every month to a new place. And mm-hmm. for me, after about two years, the lack of, um, community was a big thing that I started to m- miss out on. And so it wasn't mm. necessarily having uh, bricks and mortar in one place. It was just that, I guess, you know, I had the online community. There was a lot of Skyping. There was a lot of um, catching up with people online. But just having that regular community around me, I started to crave. Do you have the same kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, to certain degrees. And, and I do have that in a really kind of loose way. Uh, people who I know who also travel or who have lifestyles that are a little bit flexible uh, or, or people like me who enjoy having their own space and enjoy having their own independence and then meeting up from time to time and being really social. Uh, there, there's a really nice community of people that I'm uh, involved with that is in that type of space. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying that it, to me, the the mental image that I have of that that I miss sometimes is having like a normal route that I walk in a coffee shop that I stop into and I know the person behind the counter and I know the drink that I like. You know, it's like the place where everybody knows your name type of thing that I miss that sometimes. But then I find 
for me at least, for my personality, that after like three or four months of that, then I kind of want to go be anonymous again. And I'll stay in touch with certain people. Uh, that community of people that I do have is so international. I will, I will never have all of my best friends together in one place at one time <laughs> because they're all over the planet. Uh, but, but, you know, that's the nature of, of this type of lifestyle. And I, and I think ideally you find a balance for that. And it, it sounds like, I mean, that's, that's what you're doing. And that's to a certain degree what I've done these last couple of years where I've experimented with my model and have mixed it up and done some like really crazy side adventures like the one here in Kansas, J just trying to fill in the blanks and say, okay, I know, I know I enjoy that. What if I add this in, you know, it's, it's like a recipe and you're adding a little dash of different spices every time you make it. That That's what I think is the, I, I think that's the best approach to try to find that balance and ensure that you're not missing out on something as, uh, as integral as society or having a community that really fulfills you. You know, I laugh as I hear you say that because I know that it's, there was a time when I had all that, the, the person at the coffee shop knew my name and everything, and all <laughs> I wanted to do was travel. You know, I wanted uh -huh, the office uh -huh. of it. So it's funny, you kind of crave just whatever you don't have. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So going back to the travel, I know you said the travel kind of wasn't the big thing that you learned, but I'm still fascinated about you chose three months, is that right? Three months in each place you went to? It, typically it was supposed to be four months four and it months. varied between three to five. Yeah. Right. I mean the, the legalities of it usually sure. in like the Schengen zone and stuff made it three months. And so that allowed you to kind of dig a little bit deeper as opposed to the two, three weeks where you, you can only skim the surface three or four months. You can kind of make a few more friends and, and go a little bit deeper into, into a society. So I'm interested if you have advice for people on maybe how to get more out of travel. So, I find it hard. This is a question I'm asking, I guess, for myself, is when I go to a place, how do you actually get in a little bit deeper? How do you get behind the walls that uh, the average mm. tourist couldn't find? Well, it is it is getting a little bit easier now. Uh, and this is something I found the last couple of years in particular with the advent of things like Airbnb and Uber and that, that sub-economy for tra uh, travelers that is not the traditional tourist economy because the traditional tourism economy keeps you separate from the public and it keeps you on kind of like a well-paved path that shows a not quite theme park version of wherever it is that you're going. And uh, consequently, like you get an enjoyable experience typically, but it's not the same experience that a local has. And so for me, I try to do what I can to avoid those areas and I try to avoid uh, that experience. Uh, that's not to say that there's nothing valuable there. I, I think it's a lot of fun. And I've allowed myself to do this the past couple of years to go to like tourist attractions. You go to the top of the Empire State Building and go, go see the Eiffel Tower. And, you know, some of that stuff actually is fun, even though I derided it for many years and avoided <laughs> it completely. Um, but it, like to me, it's a lot more fun to stay in a part of town where people actually live. It's not going to be as easy. It's not going to be as necessarily friendly, but it will be very real. And particularly if you find a good host, either through Airbnb or, you know, just by meeting somebody online, uh, a lot of the connections that I have are through my blog. And that's a big part of why I started the blog to begin with was to make connections with actual people who live in places. So having something like that where you can draw people in or where you can reach out to people and they can see who 
you are so that there's some type of trust there, even though you're a stranger from the internet, uh, that, that works really well. Uh, particularly today, actually, like, I don't know, seven years ago, you were kind of a crazy person for talking to a person on the internet, <laughs> uh, particularly in New Zealand. Uh, I remember online dating there was like this really weird thing yes, that nobody talked about. Right. So you, you were an absolute crazy person. You were ahead of the curve. But these days, you know, like my parents have friends online. So it's, it's not as unusual as it used to be. When so I reaching out you, I way, thought we were online dating. So I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> but it, I mean, these days it's so easy to do that. And it helps if you lead with value, if you are producing something online or providing some type of service, or if you, you know, if you can show up to a place and have something to provide, something interesting to say, stories to tell, or just a bottle of wine, whatever it is that you can do in exchange for somebody being your host, or even just being somebody who then helps you escape from the tourist area. If you're staying in a hostel or a hotel, if you can connect with somebody who's local, go meet with them somewhere, have them recommend where to go, go get a coffee with them somewhere, have them recommend where to eat, get advice from them. And typically the first conversation that I have with people the first couple of weeks I'm in a new place, it's just me like peppering them with questions and trying to figure out all the things that they do and the places that they like. And then once I combine that with a few other locals, then I have a pretty good idea of what, which parts of town I should go to and which parts and places are actually interesting for the locals and where they hang out. Then I can build other connections there or at the very least see what these places are like and how people actually are and what the prices are actually like and what they actually eat and drink. And these are the things that you wouldn't necessarily see in the touristy part of town. And what have you learned about people as you travel around? Like, are we all the same at the core as you go? Because you've been in lots of different countries with different political makeups with, um, with you know, India with like a, a very strong caste system to New Zealand to... Romania. So are we all the same deep down? Is that the feeling you get from traveling? Yeah. I mean, the important stuff, I think in, in general, every place you go, you have a lot more common in common with everyone there than you have differences, even though the differences are what we tend to focus on or what we are encouraged by certain people, um, politicians and such to focus on. Uh, the, the nice thing that I suspected, but I didn't know for sure <laughs> until I started traveling was that 99.999% of the people out there in the world are not assholes. They, they are not people who are going to try to harm you intentionally. They are not people who are going to try to rob you. They're not people who are going to try to attack you. They're not people who are going to hate you for, you know, where you come from. 99.999% of the people that you encounter if you travel and if you yourself are not an asshole, then they will give you the shirt off their back, whatever that happens to mean locally. In some places that might mean that, you know, they help you even if they don't smile at you because culturally that's a weird thing for them to do. They would not smile at you. Um, and in some places they will just be so gregarious that they'll invite you in for dinner with their family. I, I've had the whole gamut of experiences everywhere I've been in the world. And I have yet to encounter uh, a non like actual thief uh, <laughs> that, uh, that wished anything but, but warmth and happiness and tried to help me to get where I went. I, I've only had a few experiences in fact, where people were trying to con me or something. Uh, and most of the people who are trying to do that stuff are in the tourist areas. They are looking for easy marks for people that they, you know, can justify stealing from because they are there to spend too much money on coffee and souvenirs anyway. Uh, but if you go to a place where people actually live, like, 
these are they're they're just like you. If you saw somebody coming to your country who clearly didn't know what they were doing, you'd probably help them get where they needed to go, if not give them advice on something. And and that's been my experience consistently is that people are generally good, uh, and if they're not good, they are like nothing. They're not good or bad. They're just neutral towards mm-hmm. you. That's the worst that you can expect. Most typically, even in places that you know you're told are very dangerous. I find people are so proud of where they're from. You know, you know, almost everyone you speak to wants to, as a visitor, they want you to see see the best of their country or the best of yeah. where they're from. They're so proud, and yeah, they love to showcase their home. Yeah, exactly. And and it's such a great opening too. Uh, I, I found particularly earlier on in my travels before I had a large enough audience that I could kind of just reach out and say, Hey, who lives in this place? And then have a couple of people to meet for coffee. When I arrived like, I'd just go into the grocery store and I'd ask somebody what something is like something that I didn't know what it was. Uh, The labeling systems and and the way things are packaged is very different in, in like Argentina than it is in the United States for certain products. And so just asking people something and making it clear, like, Hey, I'm not from here typically would start up a conversation where they would try to figure out more about me, try to figure out what I needed, if they could help me with something. And then, then it becomes kind of an exchange where they get to show off what it is that they know and show off something about their country and make sure that I see the good stuff. And then I benefit from learning these very fundamental things that, that any child there knows, but I do not know yet. Yeah. And so it, so it ends up being a nice cultural exchange. And then, hey, maybe you make a long-term connection too. And if they find themselves where you're from someday, you can tell them you know, which box is which, which is milk and which is poison. Yeah, I love that. Minimalism. You're a huge proponent of minimalism, or you certainly mm-hmm. have been in the past, and you're in a movie, right, coming out or has already been released. I'm just blanking on the name of the movie. Yeah, well, it's called Minimalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, are you still a fan of minimalism? And well, what is minimalism? And are you still a big proponent of it? Yeah, it's it's one of those terms that's often misunderstood. And I think in a lot of cases misunderstood for like marketing purposes. This is a minimalist this, this is a minimalist that. Minimalist architecture, minimalist furniture, blah, blah, blah. And in some cases they actually are, but I mean, minimalism at its core as a philosophy is about focusing on what's important and eschewing the superfluous. So like not engaging in the noise, going for the signal. And by doing that, by focusing on what's important and leaving out the stuff that is not, then you have more time, energy, and resources, including money, to spend on the stuff that actually is important. So, like for me, when I started traveling, uh, to me, what was most vitally important that I wanted to spend all of my time, energy, and resources on was travel and experiences and learning and meeting people. And that meant that I owned very, very few things, uh, just what would fit in a carry-on bag, essentially. And that that's kind of been the way that I lived for seven and a half years. And it, it's not utterly different now, even having a flat here in Kansas. Uh, you know, now I have like a desk and I have a chair and I have a rocking chair because rocking chairs kick ass and I have a guitar and and I have a little side table. Uh, and I have some kitchen appliances because I'm learning to cook. And so like the definition of minimalism changes for every person, whatever is important to you is the stuff that you should be focusing on. Uh, and the example that I usually use to illustrate this is that if you are passionate about unicorn statuettes, 
you should totally go out and buy like the best collection of unicorn statuettes that you can get your hands on. Because if that is what makes you happier than anything else, that is exactly what you should be spending your money on and spending your time on finding the good statuettes. Like we should be investing in, in all meanings of that term in the things that actually fulfill us and fill us with joy. And we should spend less of our time, energy and money and other resources on stuff that we are just told we're supposed to have or told will make us look good or that we're told is an indication of some type of prestige. If you are passionate about statuettes, you know, buy more of those suckers. Just don't spend your money on the big screen television because that money could probably be better spent on more unicorns for your collection. So whatever your unicorn statuette happens to be, for me it was travel. Now it is still travel, but it's also learning to cook and getting back into playing guitar and investing myself in this podcast that I'm doing and finishing this other book. Like whatever it is that you want to focus on, focus on it and make sure that you have the resources available to spend on that. Um, And then just focus really hard on trying to cut the excess, the stuff that you don't actually want or need uh, out of your expenditures. Yeah, I noticed for me, like it was, uh, I read uh, the book on minimalism, one of the ones that you recommended to me from one of your friends. And one of the exercises that took me through was looking at all the people in your life and Mm. who was important, who do you love, who's an acquaintance, who's just somebody that you know, and then allocating how much time you spend with each of those people. Yeah, And the theory behind minimalism being, well, it's about doing and collecting as many unicorns, but it's also about spending investing time with the people that you actually truly care about and i looked at my list and just thought wow it's way out of whack i'm spending so much time (laughs) you know catching up having coffee and dinners with acquaintances who are lovely people but in the end uh, don't matter so much it's not the people that i truly truly care about who are getting neglected i love that i love that aspect of minimalism as well yeah and it's the same with anything i mean the The application of minimalism as properly used for things like design or things like uh, architecture is the same. It's like the beauty that you find in this building, for example, is the beauty of the functionality of it, you know, and there's no additional decorations on top of that. You're not trying to add stuff just to add stuff. You find beauty in the structure. You find the beauty in the purpose of it and what it is accomplishing. And to me, whether it's possessions or relationships or the work that you're doing, being able to focus on the core components, the important structural stuff that holds it all up and does what it's supposed to do. That is so fulfilling on so many levels. And then, you know, you do it long enough and and like you clearly are, like you recognize the benefits of that. Then all of those additional decorations kind of just fade away. And you realize that the reason that you were going out and getting them or the reason that you were spending your time differently is because we're kind of incentivized to do it by society. We're told we're supposed to go on networking rather than spending time with our family. We're told we're supposed to own, you know, this car and this car and this car instead of having, you know, just the car that we need or no car if it doesn't actually serve purposes that, uh, uh, for what we want to do with our lives. Uh, Every aspect of our lives can you can apply this to, and the more you do it, the more addictive it becomes because you just get so much more out of every single resource and every single scrap of time that you have. Yeah, it's like you talked about earlier with opportunities. It's um, it's about having a policy, isn't it? About having a policy of okay, I'm only going to focus on the things that matter, the people that matter. I'm going to kind of run it through that filter before yeah. I do anything. Yeah, and you have to think about it a bit at first because it is not. 
intuitive in, in the societies that most of us grow up in. Uh, and so you really do have to catch yourself in the same way of like breaking the habit of biting your nails or something like that. You have to catch yourself every time you find yourself buying something stupid that is not actually going to bring you any joy, but you do it because, oh, there's a sale, you know, like we have these automatic triggers that we've been trained to follow. And once you get past that, then again, you recognize the value and you, you come up with other habits and triggers and such, but it does take a little time because at first it does seem very counterintuitive to not just, you know, get all the things. I remember this like very viscerally with you, um, traveling, going into a souvenir shop or something like that. And you're like, wow, this thing's really cool. Uh, can't buy it. It's not something that's going to add value to me. Like, it fit. <laughs> you know, it's a great thing. I love it. I'm not going to yeah. buy it. <laughs> yeah. You know, travel is a really great training regimen for minimalism because anything you buy, you literally carry on your back and you have to get rid of something else. Uh, particularly if you do it only carry on luggage the way that I was. So that to me actually made the uh, introduction stages of minimalism really simple because, you know, it was built into my lifestyle that I could only have so many things and that I had to really focus on the important stuff if I wanted to be able to continue to live that lifestyle. And how was it being in the movie? Oh, it was fun. It was shot so many years ago. Like it's still funny. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I don't know, three and three and a half years ago, I, like, I look at it, I was so, uh, like really, really skinny. Cause I had just and, and pale, like I'm skinny and pale anyway, but like super skinny, super pale because I had just come back from Iceland after a winter there. And so it's like 24 hours of darkness for the winter solstice. And so I, I was just coming out of that. And I had also just stopped drinking energy drinks and like, it's one of those old bad habits that I had from my LA days that yeah. carried over into halfway through my traveling. Uh, but I had dropped it and replaced it with black coffee. And so very suddenly my body was going from like this machine that was used to processing nothing but shit all the time to something that was just getting kind of like relatively clean, chemical free food. And as a result, I just like dropped like 10 pounds while I was there. Now, give me a uh, camera. So- this is the perfect time to film a movie. <laughs> well, I came back and I basically was going on tour uh, with Josh and Ryan because they were on tour and they filmed a big portion of the movie during that tour. And so I was there like opening up for them and doing stuff that it's fun getting to, to tour with my friends who are doing fun stuff. Uh, but then we filmed part of it while I was there. And so I think it was in like Northern California or something that we sat down and did. Oh, no, it was in Portland, I think where we sat down and did my, my portion of the film. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's funny looking at it now because, you know, I still say things that I believe, but just looking at my life at that point in time was so interesting. It was so many years ago that my, uh, my, the concerns at the forefront of my mind, I remember being very different. Yeah, that's cool. The, the latest project is the podcast. Um, and and I, I see the tagline of making sense of the news, which is, Again, I just love that. It's it's, it's so topical because we're so um, distrustful of the news now and we don't know what's real, what's not, especially on your side of the world. We're all pretty in touch with American politics and what's going on. So <laughs> um, how do you make sense of the news and how, how do you go through that process of uh, creating these amazing podcast episodes which dissect what's going on? Very carefully. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting actually, like let's know things started out as a newsletter, uh, many years ago. And it was something that I just did kind of for fun as a, as a side project because 
way back in the day, back in my journalism days, I wrote a news analysis column for first my school newspaper and then for a couple local newspapers. I did that in high school and then I did it all the way through university as well. And I really enjoyed it. I loved educating myself on something and then essentially explaining it to people. Like, this is why this is important. Here's what you need to know to be educated enough to make a decision and form an opinion Mm -hmm. about this thing. Uh, and, And to me, that's important because I think journalists, what they do is more important, but people don't read journalism or at least not long form journalism of the kind that's required to understand a lot of what's going on in the world today. So for me, the challenge of being able to to take in this information and then kind of filter it in such a way and become a bridge between the people who are doing the really actual hard work, doing all the reporting and investigation and stuff like that, um, and becoming a bridge between them and then the people who do not necessarily recognize immediately the value of that or understand why they should give a damn. Uh, that, that to me is such a compelling challenge. And so I started listening to podcasts a couple of years ago and really saw some interesting potential in it. And around that time, I had started putting more focus on doing public speaking as well. So I had recorded a few of my books as audiobooks. I knew generally how to use the software and the hardware. Uh, I made a couple small investments and got a better microphone and things like that. Uh, and, and then just kind of jumped into it and thought, you know, I'll, I'll take some of that news analysis stuff and I'll combine it with a little bit of like my own personal opinion to show people where I'm coming from on it and why I feel this way, but then generally try to keep it unbiased and just explain context, try to explain all the stories that are underpinning this other story that is in the news that they probably heard about. And for every story, every headline that's out there, there's, you know, hundreds of pages of things that you could say that are relevant and necessary to fully understand that story. And because of the way that I consume news anyway, and the way that I read and take in this information just for fun day to day, I thought that I would have kind of a latent advantage in in doing that. Uh, And it turned out that thankfully, uh, not only was that the case that I already had a lot of the information, or at least the starting points that I needed to put together each episode. uh, But I also just I love having the excuse to dive deeper into this. And I love having the excuse to operate in an industry that is going through kind of a renaissance right now, like, like podcasting is. Yeah. Well, you do a great job with it. Um, let's know thing podcast. It's, um, yeah, I love every episode. It's really, oh, thank you. It's, yeah, it's very cool. And I'm interested because you had such a good handle on, you, you read a lot. Um, I'm interested in what you think the future is looking like for us at this point. Are you optimistic about the future? I know this politically, it's a, it's a bit of a weird landscape, but you know, do you still hold optimism about the future, technology, humanity? Yeah, it, you know, it's it's harder now to, <laughs> to say that throatedly, like in this moment. I was actually in New Zealand when Trump was elected, and and so uh, the people that I was out with, very fortunately, uh, were very kind and. Uh, treated me like I'd just gone through a breakup, which was kind of necessary on that particular night. Uh, but no, I mean, even despite that, I, sometimes people call me out on being an optimist and I like to think that I am a rational optimist that I have every reason to believe that things will only continue to get better. Uh, the, the arguments for this are diverse and many, But just from everything that I've read, everything that I've seen, everybody that I've met, putting all those pieces together from around the world, but also across all the different media, 
I, I think we, we do have, uh, a lot of reason to be enthusiastic and optimistic about the future. I think at any given moment, it's kind of like the weather and climate change, like climate change is the climate is the big picture and the weather is what it looks like today. And you could say that global warming is happening, but yes, it is snowing today. And those are not incompatible statements. I think that we could have, you know, shitty days. We could have terrible collections of years, you know, four years for a presidency, for example. But that doesn't mean that the trajectory is not still going upward. And I think that for most people around the world, I think that will continue to be the case. And even what's happening in politics now, not just in the US, but in a lot of places where people are flirting with authoritarianism. Uh, I think that could be not a wake up call necessarily, but like an indication and in uh, unearthing of something that was always there. And it gives us a lot of incentive to deal with it and figure out ways to, uh, I don't want to say fix it because it's not necessarily something that could be or needs to be fixed, but at least come up with a way that everybody can continue to operate and make sure that people are not getting hurt along the way. Yeah, it brings those things out into the light for sure. Yeah, exactly. And of course, we always you know, with news and stuff, we tend to focus on the negative, which is again, why I love your podcast. It brings more rational optimism. Um, oh, good. To the yeah, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And cause you look at, you know, a Donald Trump thing on one hand, but then you think about an Elon Musk or, um, yeah, Tesla or all the things that he's doing. And you think, wow, like there's still incredible things going on, uh, in America in particular, more good things than the negative things, I think. I, I like to think that too. And and I think too, just the increasing capability of the everyday person, because you don't need an Elon Musk anymore. Like what he's doing is super cool. Um, and he's doing some things that a lot of people would not be capable of. But the increasing capability of just the everyday Joe, just normal people, normal lives, not doing anything in the public, not doing anything particularly newsworthy in the, in the traditional sense. But now that we are all connected and that we all have access to technologies that give us access to all of human knowledge <laughs> for the entirety of human history, and that we have devices that fit in our pockets that allow us to talk to any person on the planet instantaneously, should we choose to do so with video like that, that to me is remarkable. And it's not every person on the planet yet. Like we're only just reaching the point where almost half the planet has internet access. Wow. So as the rest of the planet comes online and as a lot of these technologies like solar power and cheap solar power in particular, uh, cheap modular solar power, especially in particular, uh, things like this are going to increasingly uh, empower the individual and small groups of people with different ideas. To me, that is a very, very big deal. And I think we're going to see a lot of new perspectives and we're going to hear a lot of new voices. And I think at a certain point, particularly as people who were born with smartphones in their hands are coming of age and get into politics uh, and get into business and other positions of power, these are people who are aware of everyone else on the planet. You know, these are people who have been playing uh, Halo or whatever the cool games that kids these days are playing. <laughs> They've been playing the games, the, these kids with their Pac-Man video games. They've been playing with other kids around the world since they were born. And, and so the idea then of going to war with somebody that you might have played Call of Duty with, uh, the idea of, you know, committing atrocities or even economically debilitating somebody from another country or from another state or from another religion or another culture – a lot of these things, I think, will 
cease to be easily done, at least, by people in power. And so there's a lot of things like that, these big picture concepts and just big, slow tidal waves that are moving that give me a whole lot of hope. Uh, and, and then there's always the chance of the cool little, you know, explosive firework type things like the Teslas and the SpaceXs of the world that are happening in the meantime. Yeah, you touched on a great point. And what I, I hope people take from just listening to you talk is how you can live the life of your dreams now so much easier. And what I see more and more people that I consider successful, people like yourself, are someone that goes, yeah, I want to run a podcast and I want to travel the world and I want to write books and I want to be in a movie. And I love um, comedy. I want to be a stand-up comedian. And oh, God. Just how, how terrifying would that be? Yeah. I'd like you to add that to your repertoire. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, I think that's that's just so cool, like, to see that you can now do all those things that you want, do a little bit of everything. And there is an alternative um, to the nine-to-five. Yeah, yeah. And I think increasingly, like, more and more people – have the option. It, it is something we're still, I mean, again, very aware of certain privileges that I have that have made this easier for me than for other people. Um, ju- just having a great family, you know, just having a great sure. family has made it a whole lot easier for me to take risks, for example, than other people, because they're the type of people who support me when I make a risky choice and decision. Yeah, you've got the than, bank stop there. Yeah, rather than disowning me, they encourage me. So something like that is hugely, immensely valuable, and it's a great big privilege. But, I mean, there are people who are doing similar things or bigger things in a different direction uh, who come from a lot less privilege, too. And that is increasingly because of those infrastructural gains. It's increasingly the the ability to tap into whatever you've got going on, whatever it happens to be for you as an individual. We are increasingly empowered to tap into that, utilize it and amplify it through the tools that we have available and the connections that we have available. It's just a matter of recognizing that and seeing these things as more than just puerile entertainment and as more than just things that we're forced to do in school. Like these these are things that, if utilized correctly, give us all superpowers. Well, this is why I love you. It's a great perspective. It's just uh, so succinct as always. Uh, one last question. I, I ask this of every man just because it's not something I hear talked about a lot, but I think it's valuable. And it's mm-hmm. to do with um, the dark side or your dark side and what that means to you i'll let you interpret it but you know some people we have a sexual dark side for a lot of men they have uh, anger issues that bubble away and stuff but i feel like a lot of people don't talk about it so do you feel like there's a part of you that has a dark side and if so what is it it's a good question yeah Um, it's a tough one sorry to put you on the spot but no, it's okay. That's good. It's it's actually when you go on a lot of podcasts, it's nice to get new questions. So mm-hmm. this has been an enjoyable discussion already, and this cool. is an especially good one. Um, I mean, just off the top of my head, what came to mind actually is the kind of looking back on my business days, like my entrepreneurial days before I had that pivot moment and decided to go a different direction. I had a kind of a level of ambition that was reckless and not like not in the sense of like wall street type of recklessness as we think of in the the popularized version of that, but, uh, reckless in the sense that it was definitely harmful to myself and reckless in the sense that I was allowing myself philosophically to justify everything because it was getting me closer to these abstract goals that I had, or rather very quantified goals, but it was abstract what I would get from achieving them. And so 
I know that that is there. And I know that in some cases, opportunities will come along. And I know that in some cases, I'll look at a particular challenge or project. And that little side of things will peep its head out and say, hey, you should totally do that. Like you could totally accomplish X, Y, and Z. And you'd get this much money and you'd be in this position and get this much prestige and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you can feel it like for a moment there, it's a little bit of, it's a tantalizing thing. Like, Hey, I probably would have done this back in the day, but I'm so much more capable now. What could I do now in that direction? And then of course you have to come in and stamp it down and say, yeah, but that would make me miserable. And yeah, I'd be working with people who are total douchebags and I, life is too short to do that. And, you know, coming in and actually spending rationality, tamping that down. Uh, but I, but I think that's, probably the the closest thing to a dark side i'm probably a little too chipper and optimistic to have other types of of dark sides but that that one is definitely something that i'm aware of and made me looking back frankly vaguely sociopathic with certain things when it came to certain elements of my life and relationships and such and not something that i am proud of yeah i appreciate you sharing that and you said earlier that um, you, know, you don't necessarily want a wife or the traditional life. So when I asked people, what should I ask Colin? They said, well, how long is he going to do this thing for? As if like uh, this life is um, some alternative crazy thing that, that has an end goal. So I think I know the answer. But in terms of travel, minimalism, living a bit more of an alternative lifestyle, does it have a time limit? I, I mean, I think it has an obvious end point. Um, robot spouse. <laughs> uh, no, no, um, no, Plenty actually, unicorns. <laughs> exactly. Unicorn statuettes, <laughs> me and the unicorns. That's all I need. Uh, love baby unicorns. No, I like, I, I don't know. Actually, it's, it's, it's interesting. Actually, I get asked that a lot. And in a lot of cases, it comes with the implied overtone that someday you'll stop being childish and start doing what I'm doing. Absolutely. It usually, yeah. Usually it comes from somebody who's in a more traditional arrangement and maybe they're trying to reassure themselves that they did the right thing. Uh, Almost like a religion where like seeing somebody who believes something else is not, even if they don't say that they're dismissive of your religion, it's like an implicit threat in a way because they believe something different than you. Uh, Like, yeah, I, I do not see myself getting married. I do not see myself having kids. It's not something that I want. Uh, I'm aware of the benefits and I am aware of the challenges and interestingness that could emerge in that direction. But yeah, for me, it just doesn't make sense. And I, I kind of like the idea of being like my siblings, their, their kids, the, the cool uncle who, you know, takes them overseas and, and takes them to the parts of town that their parents won't take them and shows them how the world actually is and, uh, spoiling them to death like that, that type of thing. Uh, but but also just like engaging with the world too societally as opposed to focusing on my own kin, my own kids, um, kind of seeing what I can do, the type of thing that you would do for your kids, seeing what, what I can do for society's kids, I guess you could say. And it sounds like it sounds kind of big and, and silly to voice it that way. But to me, that's always been more appealing. Uh, at the same time, I'm also aware that my opinions and wants and desires and priorities have shifted dramatically uh, over the past seven years, uh, over the past year in a way too, with certain things. 
So that could always change. And it could be that I look back at this version of myself and my wants and my needs and say, ah, that's that ignorant kid. He didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, but but all, all, all I can do is answer from my current perspective and my, my current uh, lookout point uh, on the world and on myself. And, and from here, I do not see a reason why I would want to go in a more traditional direction. Uh, that doesn't mean that I won't have relationships. And that doesn't mean that there won't be other things like that that are different from today. But the the prototypical, more conventional type of relationship and lifestyle, probably not. So a solid, probably not, but maybe. <laughs> exactly. It's a very black and white answer. Probably not, but maybe, but you never know, but probably not. <laughs> That's the perfect answer. Well, Colin, thank you so much. I know you, um, at the end of every email, you ask your readers to reach out, email you back and get in touch. So what's the best way to find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you for people that want to learn more? Yeah, well, you could go to colin.io, and that's where I have all my books and such. My blog is exilelifestyle.com. The podcast is Let's Know Things. Uh, but then you can also find me like pretty much everywhere on the internet at Colin is my name on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere. So that's probably the best place to reach out is on social media, and unless you want to write an email, at which case you can go to one of those websites and, and find the, the contact page. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. It's, uh, I just find you so fascinating. I love your perspective, as I said. So it's been uh, such a privilege to have you on the show. So thanks for coming and talking to me. Dude, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the next time we have a chance to sit down. Well, that's the wonderful Colin Wright. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Boy, he always leaves me uh, more informed and also with a lot to think about every time we sit down and have a chat. Such a fascinating guy and such a, an incredible lifestyle that he leads. ExileLifestyle.com is his website. Let's know things of the podcast and you can find him on all the social media at Colin is my name. If you enjoyed this podcast, give it a rating and a review on iTunes. If you saw it on Facebook, don't forget to like and share the post. And until next time, I'll be back with episode number five of the Nathan Seward Show. That was the Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men.